0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something that I think a lot of us deal with, and that is, you know, our kids tend to have more behavioral issues, more difficulties, more anxiety or OCD symptoms with us than they do with everybody else. Is that you? Do you feel frustrated? Because you're like, oh my gosh, you don't do this for anybody else. Why are you doing this around me? Well, there is a good reason. We're going to explore it and what to do about it. It is so nice to get to talk to you without interviewing someone. (laughs) I've had a lot of back to back interviews lately, and I really enjoy just being able to talk to you directly. So This is kind of nice to get back into um, the swing of things for my style and what I'm comfortable with, but I hope you enjoyed the last few interviews because I did get to interview some really awesome people, but my favorite pastime is just sitting here chatting with you directly. So a lot of us are getting either our kids are already back at school or they're getting ready to go back to school. For those of you in Australia, you're like in the middle of the school year and you're like, what are you guys talking about? But for the rest of us, it's kind of an anxiety producing situation for both the child and the parent. Um, More often than not, I think, when it comes to anxiety and OCD, because just being in a classroom all day brings whatever symptoms your child has to the forefront, even if it's not school related. And then it makes us anxious because we're kind of like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't get a zillion calls today. I hope it goes well. So. For those of you that are in the middle of all that, I hope it goes well for you. I'll be sending out some good vibes. My kids start school tomorrow, although this is being recorded a week in advance, and so my kids are already in school. So who knows how they're doing? The future me knows, but won't tell me. So I think it's gonna go better than expected because we are really being proactive and got all my ducks kind of lined up for my Miss Seven. She has a fantastic teacher this year who we met with independently, just kind of went there by ourselves and got to know her. And I have a really, really good feeling about this school year for her. So if you're worried about your child and what to do to prepare them, if you didn't hear my Facebook live, I do have a Facebook live class that I did in the large private Facebook group. That hopefully you're a part of, and if not, you can go to bitly.com/slash Natasha Daniels. I made a short link so that you can just join my private Facebook group. But if you just go to my YouTube channel, I try to put all the replays of any um, public Facebook Live class that I do in my Facebook group, not for the AT Parenting Community because I do weekly classes for them; those are completely private. But the other ones tend to go up on my YouTube channel. And so go to YouTube you and go to youtube.com slash C slash anxious 78 and watch the replay of that. It was a, an hour long and full of hopefully really helpful information. Got tons of questions from parents in the group. And so hopefully some of those are relevant to you and your struggles. Also, while you're around you know, on the YouTube channel, I did make a kid's YouTube video on helping them prepare for school because my YouTube channel is primarily to help your kids directly. It was requested a long time ago to give them some tools directly. And so you can just have my YouTube videos to show your kids if your kids are willing and um, open to watching a YouTube video. So there is one on that topic too. So go ahead and check that out as well. And hopefully that will help some of you. But I'm bringing this up because At the beginning of the school year, it can feel really frustrating too, because maybe you're warning the teachers, or maybe as a school gets started, the school system is not seeing your child's anxiety or OCD or difficult behaviors. And so they maybe make you feel like it's in your head or that you're making it up, or that maybe it's a parent-child issue. Because you know, she doesn't act that way for us, or we don't see those issues here, or we don't know what you're talking about. Trust me, I get that. I feel really weird because, you know, every year I have to go in and explain to different teachers, you know, oh, you know, my son has OCD and anxiety. Oh, my daughter has anxiety and OCD. Oh, uh, I'm an OCD therapist. And then I sometimes think, oh my gosh, what if they think like, she just sees OCD in everything. How can all of our kids have OCD? But I have worked very, very, very hard on not caring what other people think and being okay with me. And that is part of a conversation today because when you get solid with who you are and you know, what, you know, as a parent and how, you know, your child, those comments and those impressions and those opinions will have less value for you because you'll just be sad that they just can't see the whole picture, but it won't harm you. And that's really important. And if you can move in that direction, that would be really helpful. So let's start off with talking about why, why, why do kids act that way with you? And maybe they don't even act that way to your partner. Now I was going to title this podcast, um, you know, how, how moms, how kids misbehave or have more anxiety or OCD struggles for moms than for other people. But then I thought that's not fair because sometimes it's the other way around. But I will say on the whole in my office, at least when I interview parents, which I've been doing for decades now, almost always, if there's going to be a struggle with a child, you know, acting one way for one parent and not for the other, it will be the mother really frustrated and saying, you know, he, He just has all this anxiety around me. All of his OCD issues are around me. He confesses things to me if he's got that kind of compulsion or he acts out more for me. And the dad will often say, I don't see it. I don't know what, I don't know what she's talking about. He seems okay to me. He seems kind of normal. He seems kind of typical. Or, you know, she just coddles him a little bit too much. And so she just needs to be firmer like me. Now, I don't want to discount, you know, that dynamics do play A role in how our kids act. And so, yeah, like discipline wise, if dad's, you know, has strict boundaries and he's pretty firm and mom lets the child get away with everything, yeah, your child's gonna act differently for the mom than for the dad. But there are other reasons, there are many, many other reasons that you see that dynamic that have nothing to do with the inadequacy of one parent versus the other. Or you as a couple, versus the school environment or the grandparents or the aunt or the uncle or the friend. And so I want to talk about that aspect. So as a caveat, I do want to say, yes, sometimes kids act differently for different parents because one parent doesn't have maybe firm boundaries and the other parent has. Um, Also on the flip side, sometimes kids are afraid of one parent. And so they misbehave more for the parent. They're not afraid of. I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. And so if that's, if that's what's driving their compliance and their good behavior for another partner, I wouldn't want that. That's not how I want compliance. I don't even like the word compliance. That sounds very militant. (laughs) You know, I want cooperation and I don't want my kids to cooperate with me or respect me because they're afraid of me. So not the topic for today, getting a little bit of my soapbox, but I just want to, I just want to. Talk about those so we can move them out of, out of the way because that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're just talking about how kids have struggles, predominantly with their behavior or with anxiety or OCD. So most of the time, kids will, if they're going to, let's just talk about OCD really quick. If they're going to have an obsessional component that involves the parent, whether it is verbally checking with the parent, "Mom, is this safe? Mom, can I eat this? Mom, did you say okay?" or confessing, mom, I think that I gave you the middle finger, but I'm not sure. Um, Stuff like that. It will predominantly be with the mom and not the dad. Not always, nothing is ever in absolutes, but more often than not, that type of confessional behavior tends to be with the mother and not the father. Um, I have seen it flipped and not the, not the mother, but it was only the father, but that's not as common. So typically OCD will pick one safe parent and not safe in the sense like oh they're not as mean or um, you know scary, just safe in I'm gonna just pick this one parent where I can get all my safety questions asked and answered. And so typically kids with OCD will only pick one parent. And so that doesn't mean well why why does she go up to you and confess all that stuff or why does she go up to you and ask you for all this reassurance? And I don't see it. She doesn't ever come up to me. So maybe it's a you problem and not a kid problem. That's not true. It's because most of the time kids will pick just one person to do their compulsions with. And so I think that's important because sometimes partners point fingers because they're only seeing it happening to one partner. And that that has nothing to do with the, the effectiveness of one partner over the other. Also with separation anxiety, again, you do see the separation anxiety tends to be fixated on one parent and more typically than not, the parent Um, the mother. And so a lot of times parents will say, I don't know why that is. And I had Amanda Stern on the podcast a while back. She wrote the book, Little Panic. And she actually did open up my eyes and perspective to the parent-child dynamic with separation anxiety, which I kind of found fascinating. Um, And if you didn't catch that podcast with her, it was episode 116. I also think I have the replay up in um on my YouTube channel. And actually she was kind enough to stick around and I think there's a bonus bonus uh interview with her in the AT parenting community. So if you're an AT parenting community member, if you go on our website uh and you go to expert videos, oh and I think it's actually under Podcast Extras, you'll find her interview for you guys as well. So she does talk about the relationship with the parent, but I have met families where there's separation anxiety and The parent's not doing anything to facilitate that anxiety. It's just, that's, that's how the anxiety manifested. And so it's not always that the child is worried that the mom isn't able or capable of taking care of herself or that the child's not feeling like she's capable of taking care of herself. It can be for various reasons, but that also is an issue that tends to be hyper focused on one parent and not anyone else. So I think that's good to know as well, that OCD and anxiety do have elements, depending on how it's manifesting, that are directed towards one parent. And kids with anxiety and OCD in general, let's talk, now we're gonna, we're gonna move outward and talk more about the bigger picture, not just one parent versus another, but now as you as a family, your child typically with anxiety or OCD will be cognizant enough to hide their symptoms if they're well enough to do it in public. And so separate from other issues like ADHD, typically a child with ADHD would have a harder time holding in those symptoms in certain environments because physiologically that would just be really, really impossible for them. And so you tend to see those symptoms across the board, but with anxiety or OCD, those symptoms can be controlled and they can be contained for a period of time. And in fact, with anxiety and OCD, there's much more of a level of self-consciousness and feeling um, embarrassed. And so that's a higher motivator as well to pull it together and not show anyone their struggles. I have had kids come to my office where they looked completely happy, um, polite, and okay. And I thought the session went well. And the parent will email me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, she was just crying in the parking lot. I didn't think I was going to get her into your office. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm intuitive and I did not pick that up because she looked totally fine and relaxed when I talked to her. And so kids have a really good poker face and they don't want to be in the limelight. Typically, Now, kids are unique. So we can't really generalize to the point where like we're we're really speaking about every single one, but on a whole, Kids with anxiety or O C D when it's not out of control. Because there are kids that are so dysregulated and they are they have such acute levels of anxiety or O C D that they're in fight or flight mode all of the time and they act out everywhere. They, you know, they just can't contain it and they, they are more of a fighter than a flighter, or maybe they're both, but in an aggressive sort of way. I'm not talking about those kids. Um, parents of those kids would not find that this podcast is relevant because they're going to say, oh, my child acts that way everywhere, <laughs> you know? or maybe even my child acts fine at home because they don't have any of the stressors that they do in the outside world. So for some parents, it's going to be flipped. Um, and that might be because they don't feel, they don't have a lot of pressure at home to face their fears or confront their fears. And so when they are forced to confront their fears outside of the home, they become maybe uh, aggressive or impulsive. I'm talking about the other kids and more often than not, I'm saying that a lot, but the bigger percentage of kids with anxiety or OCD will be the kids that are quiet and compliant and fly on the wall, you know, wallflower. Nobody is noticing them. And when they come home, maybe they have huge meltdowns, or when they come home, they're doing a zillion compulsions and they can't function. And then they go back out and they can function well. That's where most of us, that's where most of our kids sit. And, you know, some of us have kids that are, that are really, really, really not well, and they're not, they're not able to function out there. And some of us have kids that are, um, you know, they're doing, they're doing well enough that. They're doing okay in all environments, but most of us have kids in the middle where our kids are really struggling, but they are able to pull it together. And so that's not your fault. That is, that's, that's the nature of anxiety or OCD is I don't want anyone else to know I have this. And so if I can, I'm going to hide it. So what do you do about that? So your child comes home and they have big meltdowns because they've been holding it together all day. Yeah, that, even if you know it's because they feel safe and they feel comfortable at home, well, yeah, that feels good for like two seconds and then the meltdown does not feel good and you're having to deal with this huge, huge meltdown. I think the the first thing to recognize is that when your child comes from any environment where they've been holding it together for a while, whether that's school, that'll predominantly be what most of us are thinking about, but also like grandparents or a friend's house or a play date, and then they come home. It is probably to be expected that they're going to have to decompress. And sometimes that is not going to be pretty. So you can already plan on how to have them decompress. So proactively, if you know your child's coming home from school like with my kids, I don't have after-school activities. They have kind of taken turns having acute levels of anxiety and OCD. And so now it's my seven-year-old's turn <laughs> And it is not, it is not helpful for me to have a very busy schedule for them. And so as much as I would like them to be well-rounded and to have a lot of social interactions and to have a lot of extracurricular activities, and as much as they would like that as well, it's just not actually practical because after spending seven hours at school, holding it together, and both my, all three of my children, actually my seven, nine and 15 year old, are all like this where they're holding it together all day and they're exhausted when they come home and they all want to just veg and it's part kid because what kid doesn't want to come home and veg, right? That's my clinical term veg. But also we have to give a little bit more wiggle room to the kid with anxiety or OCD because they are dealing with things that the typical child doesn't have to deal with all day long. They're fighting their fears, they're dealing with intrusive thoughts, they're dealing with social anxiety. They're worried about throwing up or going to the bathroom or all sorts of things that the average child is just completely indifferent about. And so planning nothing after school is is ideal. Now some people like to keep their kids super busy because they feel like if they're not busy, they get very anxious. And I I caution parents, you know, as kids get older, you don't want to fall into that trap of distraction. It's great if if your child is going to be passionate about something. And if you, if you listen to my interview with Aaron Harvey last week, and actually my interview with John Tessitore quite a while ago, both of them talked about having harm, moral OCD issues as children. And they both were giving parents advice on what they would do just based on their own experiences having OCD as a kid. And it was interesting, because both of them said, "Stop just seeing your child as a child with o c d and get them into stuff get them get them passionate about things and I agree, I think that's really good, but I think you also have to be aware of not over scheduling them, and so how can you do that in a way that works for your kid and you have to know your child and so Some kids like to be out and about. They're actually happier when they're out and about. So I've worked with many kids in my practice who are on swim team and they really enjoy it. And it is, it's an outlet for them, but I also have kids that I work with in my practice that are kind of forced to go to athletic events and, you know, join teams. And every time I see them, a big bulk of the session is, is talking about how they don't want to go to practice. And that's a really common topic in my, in my practice, (laughs) not to use the word practice twice, but, and then you get to the point where you're like, well, even if the child likes, likes doing it, is it worth that battle and causing them that much, you know, cortisol and, uh, you know, stress hormones to go through their body every single week or three times a week, you know, to me, that's not necessarily worth it. So you really want to hone into your own child's personality and how do they relax? How do they let go? How do they decompress? Don't put your your methods or how you decompress onto your kids or what you want for your kids. As far as this is what I always saw when I had kids, I want them to be doing this, this, and this. So at my house this year, we're not doing anything. My son wants to do track, but I have to figure out where to find something that's track related for him. But for now, he's not gonna do anything. And he really needs, he comes home and I let him watch TV, I let him play Roblox, I let him have a snack. I give him wide space for at least an hour. And my style of parenting is totally different than I think a lot of people's where I really empower my kids to do their own time management and set their own time for doing their homework. And so I remind them, You know, I'll say, when do you wanna do your homework? And then sometimes they'll say, not right now, I'll do it in an hour. And then they'll, they'll set Alexa reminder in the kitchen To for her to remind them to do their homework. And that didn't happen automatically. I started fostering that independence around kindergarten, but that's something that's a totally separate podcast, but that helps me get out of the line of fire. And because my kids are people pleasers and they want to do well at school, they tend to do their homework because I'll say, you don't have to do it, but then I'll just email your teacher and let her know that you didn't want to do it. And they get really, really concerned about that because. Nobody sees these difficult behaviors, but me and my husband, right? And so when you say that to a child who has kind of a facade out in the public world and definitely to their teachers, that's a nightmare. And so my kids are like, no, 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 don't do that. I'll do it because they don't want the teacher to know that they ever have quote unquote difficult behavior. So I think, you know, to reduce the difficult behavior that you have at your house, especially coming from after school You want to give them some decompression time, and that will be different for each kid. Also, I want to talk about when our kids also go to relatives or friends' houses and, and especially relatives, I would have to say where our relatives don't see what we see. That's another source of frustration. Uh, Luckily, I don't have to deal with that because I have no relatives out here. (laughs) So uh, we're pretty much an Island in Arizona, But I know many, many people just based off of all the conversations I hear in my practice and definitely in the private Facebook group that I run that it's very frustrating when people who are supposed to love and support you tell you that they don't see it or they give you well-intentioned comments like, you know, maybe he's just being a kid or, you know, don't all kids do that or aren't all kids worried about that? And I know, because I have heard those comments too, but not from family members, just people in passing or whoever I'm talking to in the moment. And it's just so irritating. (laughs) It's just so hard to not get upset when you hear comments like that, because you just want to say, no, it is not like normal people. And, you know, and sometimes people are actually doing that because they're trying to help normalize it. And they're trying to relate and make you feel better. And they don't realize that you feel like, you are, like they are devaluing and minimizing your struggle. So I see it from both ends. Uh, I mostly see it as a parent because I have heard those comments before and it's very easy to get triggered and, and angry by them. But I think the important thing is that they don't know. They just don't know. One, they probably don't have the education that you do on anxiety and OCD. Two, they don't see it because... Maybe they're a target of the anxiety or OCD. Maybe they're contaminated or the child just doesn't feel safe enough to show any of their anxiety or OCD symptoms to their their grandparents or relatives. And so it doesn't ultimately matter whether you get validation from relatives, friends, the school, even your partner, because you know what you know, when you look at your child and you see anxiety or OCD. And your child knows that you understand. And so they're going to show it to you more. They're going to seek you out when they're having a hard time. They're going to look for comfort from you when they're having a hard time because they know you get it and they want support and they want love and they know they can get that from you. So it's a beautiful thing, except that it is stressful. It's exhausting and it can be isolating. And so there's that, right? So what do you do with that? I think you're given a gift. (laughs) You're like, okay, that's it. I'm turning her off. (laughs) Stick with me. You're given opportunities to work with your kids and help them with their struggles. You're given an inside look into their OCD and anxiety themes. That's lucky because other people don't get to see that. And other people are not privy to that. Even the, the therapist is probably not privy to what you see and what, you know, that's why when I meet with families and they, sometimes they'll say stuff like they'll give me like their opinion about their child or their observations. And then they will almost discount it by saying something like, yeah, I don't know though. I mean, you're the professional. So you tell me, and I'll look at them and I'll say, you definitely know your child better than I do. Just because I'm a professional doesn't mean that you don't know your child better than me. I know anxiety or OCD and you know your child. So together as a team, as an equal team, we're going to do this and we're going to figure it out. So don't discount your knowledge and your expertise with your child. And because you know what your child's anxiety or OCD themes are, when your child is having a hard time, even when they're behaviorally just disruptive or difficult, you will know how to approach that in the best way because you get your kid. Those are learning moments. Those are important moments. And even if you, you know, take maybe 30% of those moments and you turn them into learning moments and 70% of the time you get really annoyed and irritated, you're doing really good compared to the average parent. (laughs) So, you know, hang in there. I have ugly moments. I have intention of wanting to walk through things with my kids but then when it doesn't go well or you know my son's not listening and he's not getting it you know sometimes I'm human and I just get frustrated and I respond in the wrong way and I say the wrong things and I know I'm saying the wrong things as I'm saying them but I can't stop because I'm so annoyed we're human right I know what I'm supposed to say but I don't always say it you know so you want to look for that 30% if you can go higher that'd be awesome and when your child is having a hard time that's why it's important for you to know the skills that your child's therapist is teaching if you have a child that's if you have a therapist that's working with your child because it's in the moment that kids learn the most and so i'm going on some various tangents in this podcast today but it's you know why this is happening because i didn't make an outline <laughs> so i'm talking uh, I'm having a stream of thought here, but they're all they're all interrelated because the point is you have the ability to really impact your child, and even though it's frustrating that you're the one that is kind of getting the bulk of it that's and that can seem very unfair, you also have the front line to help them so the soapbox I was about to get on before I went on a tangent about my tangents <laughs> <laughs> is. You want to learn from your child's therapist as much as your child is. And if you're not learning from your child's therapist, email them or contact them and tell them that that is a goal that you want as part of therapy. Not every therapist is going to have that as their style. And so that's okay. I wish I could train like that. That'd be a cool job to just train therapists in like my next life. I'll have to do that because I think it'd be really fun, but Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. And it's not like the therapist is doing something wrong if they're not involving you. It's just that every therapist has their own unique style. So email the therapist and just say, I really want to learn skills. In the moment, I don't know what to do. And so if I know what you're teaching my child, then I can teach them that as well in the moment. And if you have a child therapist that's working with you, that's awesome. Because I am so big on giving the parent the skills to help the child directly. And then if we go even deeper than that, giving the child the skills to work on themselves directly, that's the ultimate goal. But it, it's like a layer. It's like an onion. It's like the therapist teaches the parent and the child and the parent reinforces what that child is learning in therapy at home. And then the child eventually becomes their own uh, trainer and quasi therapist to their own issues because they learn and they observe and they're able to, to use those skills to do it themselves. That's the ultimate goal. And so the fact that you see maybe the worst in your child, not like that they're horrible, but like you see their worst behaviors, you see their, their worst anxiety or their worst OCD also means that you get to help them the most. And by help, I don't mean you fix it for them. I mean, the opposite you cheerlead And you ask them, like, if you've taken any of my online courses, you would say stuff like, you know, what are your green thoughts? If it's anxiety, what can you be telling yourself? What can you do in this moment? So you would be cheerleading their skills. If it's OCD, what can you tell OCD? You know, if you do that compulsion, what's going to happen? So you, you know, you put out breadcrumbs for them and, and then they get training wheels and they learn how to use their skills. That's the ultimate goal if it's behavior, you teach them how to self-regulate, right? I've been working on this with my son. And so I will, and actually we've been working on like just this whole, like vindictiveness. And I've been talking to my kids about, you don't have to get people back. You know, like there's, there's kind of an OCD quality with some people where if you do me wrong, now I have to, I have to get you back. Even if it's slight, even if I just tap you, I have to get you back. And it has to do with that black and white thinking and it's it's very difficult to parent. And so even though it's difficult behavior, I'm not gonna discipline it. I'm going to teach. And so I'm gonna talk about what an adult looks like when they're vindictive, you know, what life looks like if you have an entire life of I have to get back at you, you know, that you're living in this anger and how does that feel in your body? What is what kind of damage is that doing to your body? What kind of control are you giving to other people? because you're trying to get back at them. Is that worth it? It's a boomerang. So these are the conversations you can have because you're the one that gets to see all the struggles. So there is, there is a silver lining because when you know your child, the best, and you see all the worst behaviors, you also see some of the best because they appreciate you and they value you. And then you might be shaking your head. No. And you might be saying, uh uh-uh, Oh, not my child. They hate me or they're horrible. And maybe you aren't, but Trust me, there is an appreciation underneath all that anger, because if you get your child, if you really are their comfort, as well as the person that, you know, unfortunately, like you're their punching bag, that means they feel incredibly close to you and you are in a great position to help. So I hope that makes sense. And I hope that makes you feel a little bit better about all the stuff you have to deal with. I mean, that's, it's rough, but. I think that's, it's very common. I think most of us are dealing with that where our kids, we are going to see the worst struggles at home with our kids. So I hope you found that helpful. And next week, my plan is to talk about sensory motor OCD. Uh, when kids hyper-focus on their breathing or their blinking or their swallowing or their peeing or their pooping, physiological, automatic bodily functions, OCD loves to target that. And that's a very common OCD, but it's not typically talked about. So I did get, I did get quite a few requests to talk about sensory motor OCD. And then I realized I don't have a podcast on that. So that is coming next week. So if you have not subscribed to my podcast, hit subscribe. So you don't miss that because you're going to forget just like me. And um, I'm also doing two kids, YouTube videos for next week which will be about how to make friends for kids that are quote-unquote shy, right? Kids that have a hard time making friends I who are shy, not because they have some social uh, skill issues or on the spectrum. This is just about kids that are, that are shy or reserved. I don't like the word shy, but a lot of kids will describe themselves that way. So that is on my YouTube channel. So go ahead and check that out. And if you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, do that. Also, not to just talk about my social media, but I am now doing videos on Instagram. So Instagram has something called IGTV. So if you follow me at anxious tallers every Wednesday, I do a video and you will find that in my profile and you can get some parenting tips that way. They're, they're normally not related to the podcast, or my YouTube, they're just completely for Instagram. So you could technically hear from me almost every day if you wanted to. So if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. And if you have an extra minute and you would like to say something nice about the show, I greatly appreciate that. And to show my gratitude, I always like to end the show reading one of them. Naomi 30 said in my toolbox, thank you, Natasha. This podcast gives me an outlet to talk about OCD since it feels like there is no one to talk to who understands. That's funny. That's kind of what we're talking about today, right? Also, she has lots of great ideas that we add to our toolbox. My son has been doing OCD rituals since before he was three. It took us another year to find help. Six months into ERP bravery practice, this podcast is a great addition for more ideas and a great emotional outlet for me as a parent. Thank you so much for leaving that review. I really appreciate it. And if you have something nice to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find a sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you guys again next Tuesday. Take care.
1: Hi, I'm a mom of a daughter with OCD. I live in South Africa, um, and it's a country that doesn't have a lot of resources for children's mental health, and specifically OCD. I really was at my wit's end on how I'm going to support my child, how I'm going to do ERP, how I'm just basically going to, to parent A daughter with OCD in a country that has little to no resources and at times it got just debilitating for us as a family and I was super lonely, Um, people weren't listening, I didn't have any support. The AT community has been an absolute lifesaver. Natasha has been instrumental in the past few months in helping us set up ERP challenges, going through them step by step being supportive each and every step of the way. Joining the AT parenting community has been one of the best things I could have done for me and my family. Uh, Natasha has built this community and it is exceptional. I've learned so much, the support is fantastic. It's it's just been life changing for my daughter. Um, it's so nice to be able to ask her live questions and office hours. She's there, she responds. Uh, her live videos every week where She asks us what we need her to talk about. Uh, Also her forums, again, where you can ask questions. She's on there all the time. She is very present. The resources she's had provided, the worksheets. Uh, There are so many things in this AT Parenting community that are beneficial. Natasha gives you so much of her time and her expertise. She's there to answer your questions. So it's such a personal way of getting help and support when it's much needed. Personally, The community has helped me because I feel like I needed my support. And then you have the added bonus of this fantastic community of parents who are going through such similar things and suddenly you're empowered and have ways of accessing help and making a real difference to your family and also just the support of all the other moms and dads it's really good you know we laugh together we cry together we fail together we succeed together um and and everybody gets it everybody gets it and it's such a nice community to be with and i hope you join us you won't be disappointed try it out
0: to learn more about how you can become a member of the AT parenting community go to atparentingcommunity.com Thank <music> you.